brand is more important than it's ever been. Companies that grew up with passerby readers are dead. And if you don't have a consumer who's actively looking for your content, it is very difficult to build ancillary business models. If you look at what Snapchat's doing with advertising and storytelling, it's clear that digital can be more than the thing that we think it is. Hey, welcome to the Digiday podcast. My name is Brian Marcy. I'm the editor-in-chief of Digiday. I'm back after a long hiatus. I want to thank Sihil Patel, who ably filled in for me during my absence. Um, and I'm back today with great podcasts. It's Henry Blodgett, the CEO and the founder of Business Insider. Henry, welcome. So great to be here. Okay, so it's two years now since the Axel Springer deal. When that went down, it was very fortuitous timing. You know how the time markets, because the digital ad market went through a little buckle there. Everyone missed their numbers after that. Um, explain going through that and then how, how the market has changed since then, because I, I read the Axel Springer results and they, they say good things are going on at Business Insiders. So you're doing well. Good, we, great things are going on. We're having a tremendous year, but as you say, last year was very much a transition year. We had been preparing for the shift to programmatic for about two to three years, and there hadn't been much shift. And then all of a sudden last year, a huge amount of money started to move that way. And so we had to make some adjustments. We had a few quarters where we were growing more slowly than we expected, but we had built out a great programmatic capability, and we were also developing really high-end custom services because the other piece of what happened is that clients started to do much larger creative campaigns with much fewer publishers. So we were then well positioned for that. So the year finished up well, we still grew 30%, but it was a tough transition year for us. And this year has been great. Okay. So the big thing was the shift to programmatic. And then also the, the we're seeing now the shift to video, the pivot to video. That's right. And I, for video, for us, we've been in the video business for seven years. I think that a lot of the folks who are embracing it now are going to have a rude awakening. It's very difficult. So it's not like it can suddenly save a print business that is not working. Well, you guys were doing but, some experiments on it early. I mean, you were doing like live shows. Oh, well, we started I mean, going, going back seven years. Yeah. Our first video experiment was what I would describe as bad CNBC. Right. Like two guys sit at a table and talk about the market at 10 o'clock in the morning. And we thought, oh, it's great. We'll broadcast to the whole world. And we first did, you know, the first day, three people watched. And by the end of the week, we mm -hmm. had an audience of seven. And we realized, okay, we could keep doing this and we could get really good at it. But you know what? The TV networks are really good at this. And the other lesson that we're learning is that this isn't what people want in digital. And that really started the experimentation. So we built a big web video business over three to five years. Then social came along and we said, oh, that's great. Folks on the web love our videos. They're going to love them on social too. And we put them on social and nobody watched them. And we said, hey, wait, what's going on here? And we realized that actually social is very different. It's another And these were like talking mechanism. head videos? Yes, exactly. Okay. Those were working well. It, I mean, video, the key difference between video and text is you want to show people things. And I think the other point about the pivot to video right now is people are talking as if the future is just going to be video. It's crazy. The future is going to be everything. It is going to be text. Text, photos, audio, and video. And I think the media brands of the future will do them all extremely well. And so we are continuing to invest aggressively in print or words, 
I suppose. Is You're still long on words. Absolutely. Okay. As we continue to invest in video. And yes, the big change in social was the discovery mechanism is very different. Autoplay without sound turns out it's a very good experience. It was the sound autoplaying that bothered people. But in a feed, you only have a very short amount of time to get somebody's attention. And so you have to tell the stories differently. And we began to figure that out. And then our video business exploded. Mm-hmm. And now we're doing about 3 billion views a month. So a lot of the pivot to video seems to be defensive for a lot of people because a lot of them were venture capital funded. You guys were venture capital funded too. And they're on a set of expectations about TV money moving to digital. And it didn't move to the display market. And so they were they were looking at that, it seems like, and then they needed to move to video just purely because it was, I don't want to say Hail Mary, but I mean, they have they have to they have to show returns to their investors, and it's not going to happen with a display advertising business. I think it will happen with a display advertising business. A majority when display it, when it is done right, but it's difficult. And I think a lot of folks look at it and say that it should be easy. Hey, we're writing some stories that are good. Why don't we have a business as opposed to actually really having to figure out the economics of the business? How do you build a business that supports an ever-growing editorial budget? How do you serve the needs of folks in this medium as opposed to other media? One of the philosophies we had from the beginning that has helped us a lot is that digital was going to be profoundly different from print and television. And that helped us, helped us experiment, helped us sort of free up and figure out what worked. And now having done it for 10 years, I would say that our conclusion is that digital is as different from print and TV as they are from each other. And if you go into it with that and you, you say our mission is to build a model that works in this medium, not in other media, then you begin to figure out how to do it. And display absolutely works for that. Our display business is growing incredibly fast this year, both programmatic and direct sales. On the custom side, it very much works. As I said before, we're continuing to grow our print editorial budget, words, and continuing to grow the video side. So pivoting to video or the new idea that it's video, video is a huge opportunity, but like words, you have to figure out a model mm-hmm. that works in this medium. And, so who's going to win? So who's going who's gonna to succeed in the pivot to video? Uh, obviously, the people who started in video have a, have a, a leg up to, to the people who ha- are trying to figure it out, whose DNA is words. Yes, unless the folks whose DNA is words commit to it and say, we are going to really understand how to tell stories in video that people love. And again, it's not television and it certainly isn't an article. So you actually have to figure out what is it that you, how do you add value to viewers and users of social media in video, in digital? Mm -hmm. And if you're willing to really commit to that and experiment and learn, then it's an incredible business and opportunity. So a couple of years ago, you you started two spinoffs. One was Tech Insider and one was Insider, confusingly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, for, for eight years, had focused on Business Insider. We'd become the world's favorite business news brand in terms of global reach, bigger than Wall Street Journal. If and it was you, an elastic you, view of if, business. If, if you told me that the if eight years ago that we would be read by more folks than the Wall Street Journal or watched, I would have said, I'll have what you're having. Hard <laughs> to believe. But yes, we had, we had taken a wide prism. We'd taken the view like The Economist or the Wall Street Journal of business, which is we talk about politics. We write about sports sometimes. We write about lifestyle. But it was very clear that there was a huge world of stories outside 
outside of that that we could also tell, but that wouldn't fit within the business rubric. And so we launched Insider as a lifestyle, life is an adventure, new mm-hmm. brand. We started with social video, so we didn't start with text, started with social video, and then built the website afterwards. And it's because we assigned a great team to that, Nicholas Carlson, Tony Mantra, Julie Zeviloff, that did a great job developing the social video and figuring it out, that has driven just huge growth for Insider. And ultimately, we think there's the capability for us to tell stories across that broad a prism. And I can say in the Blodgett household, mm-hmm. my young daughters were getting very bored year after year of hearing about, you know, dad does business. And unfortunately, business is boring. And then I finally was able to come home and say, yes, but you have to see this story about this new cupcake that they're yes. making downtown. And suddenly I was a hero in my own house. Now you're in the cheese business. Exactly. Um, and I want to get to the cheese content um, in, a, in a little bit. But explain, because Tech Insider, you folded back in. And, well, and that seemed like it was too close to Business Insider because it's hard. Technology is part of every single, every, every facet of everything now. That's not a, a vertical. That's exactly it. We, this, this strategy started about three years ago. We actually raised a, a large round of financing to launch outside of business, Tech Insider and Insider, and also our subscription business and UK yeah. and, and others. And at that time, there was still a difference between consumer tech brands and business brands. Over the next two years, they converged to the point where if you were to take the headlines or or the label off of Wired or the Wall Street Journal tech section, you wouldn't know the difference between the two. They had the same stories. And our editorial teams were getting confused. Who should cover what? Didn't make sense. Readers and viewers didn't care. Tech Insider was absolutely resonating. The growth Mm -hmm. has been tremendous. And on social, it is the biggest tech site there is tech insider around the world so we were absolutely excited to keep that but ultimately it made sense to fold it back into the business insider site and so that's what we've done but tech insider continues to grow has a great team um, doing uh, i don't know what the latest social count is but last time i checked over 10 million followers okay so insider though had a very it was differentiated I mean, life is an adventure a lot of weird product videos there's the cheese content the aforementioned cheese content um, explain, I mean, cause, uh, Nicholas was, was a guest actually on the Digiday podcast, I don't know, a year and a half ago or so. So we talked about, um, I know he has spreadsheets where he figures, figures out what's working. Um, but explain the sort of experimentation that's gone on to go from sort of zero three years ago to whatever, 2.2 billion views a month. Yeah, I mean, just the growth has been tremendous. Insider recently crossed 50 million followers. You all were kind enough to vote it best on Instagram last year. It's just been an amazing success, especially on social, but also now increasingly on the web. Our approach for Business Insider and then Insider from day one, when we started with three of us in the loading dock of another startup, was our mission was to help our audience inform and inspire So that meant really looking at what we were producing and how it resonated and how it traveled and continuing to adjust. If we're telling stories, providing information that folks don't value, well, how can we shift into providing information that they do value? And that's what Insider did. Again, this was new social video. If they had started ultimately with web video, it was going to flop. So they started to experiment and learned how to tell stories for social platforms. And that is what really took off. And then we already knew how to do the web piece. And that's growing. Then you sort of backed into having the website 
and and you're you're doing more than just the quote unquote just video. I mean, video is enough. Um, I, look, I, but because yeah, there there is, I think you've always been a proponent of of digitally native storytelling. I think you guys were synonymous with the slideshow for a while. Thank you for that. Yeah, thank you too for your commentary. <laughs> your view of the slideshows and others eventually convinced us. You know, people just don't like slides, but they do love to scroll. So we went to view as one page, which yes, was a absolutely. huge success. But photos, photos are a great way to tell absolutely. Stories and stuff. But various, and I mean it as a compliment, in various ways to tell um, stories that are unique. Because I think, like you said, a lot of people have approached a digital media um, from a print mindset, and they're just sort of porting over newspapers and magazines. That's right. And it, it's profoundly different, and it's and it's profoundly great. I was reading an article on Washington Post earlier today, and it's talking about the Bezos effect there, and basically that his mindset is, look, let's take advantage of what people love about a newspaper, but then let's also add the gifts of digital, what you can do in digital that you can't do in a newspaper. And it turns out just a huge amount, and it's the same on the video side, same on audio, and our focus always has been on the audience. How can we inform and inspire? How can we make it easier to find stories you like, share stories you like, what you need to know? And so we continue to adapt to that. And it just, that leads you to many places that you would never get to if you start with the mindset mm -hmm. of, hey, TV's great, let's figure out how to duplicate it. Or a newspaper's great, let's figure out how to duplicate it. Digital's much more flexible than that. Right, so... Uh, a lot of people are looking at sort of social video. There's a lot of, a lot of people are taking very similar approaches. And, and it's hard because how are you going to build a brand that's differentiated when everybody's doing food videos with the hands, the overhead shots, the hands? You know, I mean, that's, it's but, sort of well-established that that does well on Facebook at this point. But we've seen exactly the same thing in text, too. This has always been a, a world where every print publication is online, and then you have all these super-talented digital natives start. So if you look at that and you say, my goodness, there's so much content, you could never tell stories that would stand out or bring a, build a brand, you would never even start. It's that intimidating. Mm -hmm. But we firmly believe we can build a brand. Again, the, the core of the insider brand, and this crosses business insider, it crosses insider, tech insider, sports insider, everything that we do out of that is we want to inform and inspire and take full advantage of this medium to reach folks who are active and want to change the world. That is the point of what we do and everything we do. And we think that we can build a brand that ultimately stands for that over time. You, you look at how much time it was taken to build the great media brands of today, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, CNN, and, and others. It takes decades. And we're 10 years in. We've made great progress, have a huge audience, so proud of what we've done. But we look forward. It's the next 10 to 20 years where we think we can really become one of the most loved media brands of mm -hmm. this century. So you have two new shows um, on, on Facebook now that just, uh, well, one debuted today, right? Yes, very okay. exciting. It's um, new for us. Tell us about the shows because there's there's the cheese show, um, but there's also uh, but does it work? Yes, right? there there are <clears throat> several. Facebook has has a new yeah. program with their watch tab where they've gone out to producers and publishers and basically said, look, pitch us shows. These are these are shorter form shows than on television, but much longer than the usual in feed videos. So anywhere three to ten minutes, episodic. People want to see the next one because they like the first one, and we. 
at our slate. We're very happy to be working with Facebook on four shows right off the bat and then more going forward. And yes, as you mentioned, I am very much looking forward to seeing the debut of The Great Cheese Hunt, (laughs) where we will go all over the world to sample these amazing cheeses, science the shit out of it, which is all about these things that happen every day. Like, is coffee good for you, Brian? We, I'm drinking we, it right really now. Know exactly. You should have told me about this. I, sh- <laughs> I wish I knew about the cheese thing. I could have maybe done a little freelancing for you during my, my travels. Exactly, because we know. did go to Japan, and that's a good episode. I yeah. think that's the second episode. <laughs> and then, right, there's the cool, but does it work? And we test a lot of great products so tell that me, go tell crazy. Tell me about that, because one of the things I've noticed about Insider, and I think we did a story about it because I've, I noticed it, is you guys love like weird weird product videos and and it's it reminds me of sort of sky mall like there's a lot of people who are making strange very niche products um and they do really well um on social particularly on facebook well people love innovation and they love cool ideas and they love inventing things and seeing creativity in action and a lot of the product videos you're talking about it turns out that people have these great ideas and they will mock up a prototype and basically put it out there. And yes, people love to look at these cool things. And one of the greatest stories is is about the so-called critter catcher of this guy invented it. looks like an umbrella, except it has a squeezy thing that allows you to pick up spiders and other insects, made it for a relative who was an arachnophobe and terrified, but also didn't want to be mean and squash the insect. So we, yes, we, we did a video about that, but then we actually went out and tested the thing. Both. We got a whole basket of crickets and let them go in an apartment. And our team was wandering around with the critter catcher, picking them up. Then we went to central park, see if we could catch some critters there. So it turns out this thing works perfectly. Okay. You can grab insects from a long way away without harming them and then release them into the wild. It's terrific. This is not just taking um, weird product uh, marketing videos and recutting them for social. We tell stories about everything. I mean, there's no, and we don't, it's not like we see and take. When we see something that we think is cool, we reach out to the folks who own the video or make the product and say, look, can we do a story about this? And then we'll write a story about it. Mm-hmm. We, we, people will not. There was, I remember, a rather vigorous debate recently about um, using product footage online. People are not going to sit there and just watch an ad produced by somebody. You have to tell a story around mm-hmm. it. That's what grasp, gets people's attention. And yes, as you pointed out, like people are just really into innovation and ideas. So I would guess you know, building up that muscle would provide a pretty obvious um, business model component to that. I would think you would want to be telling these stories uh, for advertising partners. Yes. I mean, there's certainly a lot of interest on the client side about how to do this. And as with other kinds of stories, there are certain stories that lend themselves very well to text and print. There are others that lend themselves well to audio. There are others that lend themselves well to video. So it's not like you can come in and say, hey, we'll do one size fits all for, for whatever the product is. But the larger point, commerce is yes. a huge opportunity because you drive i've seen the thing you've driven you you drove foot traffic for people i mean you know when you when you feature them you can impact business results enormous and we, we've seen this anecdotally with a lot of smaller companies but we're also now starting to see it with larger companies where these videos are very influential they make people want to stand up and say hey i want to try that that looks really cool so how does that change the monetization picture for types of video that you're doing i mean obviously there's going to be space for pre-roll mid-roll something in stream particularly when it's longer maybe in the in the five minute range but 
I would think that commerce seems like it would be a pretty big opportunity as far as the portfolio goes. Commerce is a huge opportunity because, again, the goal is to help people choose stuff that they like and think is cool. And and that is a range of impulse purchases. Hey, I didn't know I want that, but that looks great. To I am searching for this particular thing. I want an expert to tell me whether this one's good, that one's good. So a big opportunity there. I think in general with monetization, we have spent the last 20 years building the monetization model for articles and text. And there's been a lot of experimentation around that. And it turns out that it is a hybrid of custom native and programmatic is the way to monetize that for advertising. You can Mm -hmm. also monetize it with subscriptions, which we're doing uh, in another corner of the business. I think the video monetization model basically roll back the tape. We're we're in the early experimentation phase. And, And where we think it will go is that digital video will evolve its own monetization unit or pattern the same way television did, same way we did in in text for online. We're at the early stage of that. It's a lot of experimentation, but we would expect that it is the same. So there is a big piece of custom. You can tell stories around your brand and product. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's product placement in in videos where that's appropriate. But then there are also units evolving. And, And one of them that is evolving that we think has a lot of promise, they're just very short Advertisements, six seconds, pre-roll, mid-roll yeah. on Facebook. It's again yeah, enough very, very early stage. But advertisers need to produce <clears throat> more of that. But they will over time. I mean, it's the same evolution with television. Like you go back to the beginning of television, nobody knew how to advertise in the medium. Everything was embedded. It was the soap disc on the podium of the game show. But then ultimately what it evolved to was mini TV stories mm-hmm. that look exactly like the longer stories in television. They just last 15, 30 seconds. In digital, 15 to 30 seconds, it turns out, is an eternity. And so you can do a huge amount in six seconds. And I can totally understand why clients are slow to jump on that bandwagon because TV ads work great. There's very sort of established way of making them and processes around that and distributing them. So this is something new. It's not yet totally clear how effective it is, yeah. but it will be in a year or two. And I think that everyone will discover it's like, wow, you know, an hour in TV equates to about a minute in digital. So I take that 60 second ad and I come down to six seconds. That is a big opportunity. And I think that's what you're going to see YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. So and I guess, th- uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of people like I, I mentioned the 2.2 billion views and that's that's impressive number it's a big number everyone's got the big numbers these days it is it's even um, three it's over three. Oh, it, it was, <laughs> i thought it was 2.2 that's just July. insider oh, okay that's just insider okay sorry um but a lot of people are going to watch time and um because you know not all views are created equal seeing something for five six seconds in a feed is not the same as as, as watching something and immersed for a half hour um so you have to build up that muscle, right, as part of Insider and Business Insider? It depends. I, I think this is time is a metric that a lot of folks in the traditional print business, especially on the magazine side, have tried to push as the print or text metric. It actually doesn't make sense because in digital where you are on your phone or wherever else, your time is incredibly valuable. If a publisher can get you in and out quickly and save you time, that is valuable. So 
we actually think the whole time uh, metric is not the right metric. Even for video, because watch time is still super well, important. Well, so come back to video. So, so I think what is evolving, and we're already seeing it, is many different types of video. In-feed video, for example, watch any native user, any young person actually go through a feed. They will go through it relatively quickly. Sometimes they'll stop for 20 seconds on a video, sometimes a minute, minute and a half. They are not scrolling through that feed to find something that they want to watch for a half hour. And the idea that they would have to stop and suddenly find that half hour to watch a show, it's crazy. Those mm -hmm. shows are on Netflix or uh, shorter versions on YouTube where it's actually a lean back experience. You're on your couch or your bed and you're finding an episode to watch. There's absolutely a place for that, but there is definitely a place for in-feed. And then there's yes. definitely a place for I'm browsing a site and I want to watch this short video. It's two to three minutes. And sure, if you add up all of the time collectively that people spend on a particular property or watching videos, that is, it is meaningful in a way. But I think what you're going to find is that people very much value in-feed video. It is a great experience. But it's hard to monetize, right? I mean, because it's so, it's so fleeting. It is early. But what we are finding is that the clients who are experimenting, certainly with integrated sponsorships, are doing very well. We have a program that we're doing with Fidelity Investments. It's called The Bottom Line. It's a finance show. Um, it is doing extremely well across all the different social platforms. And we are integrating the sponsorship in a way that you see that right away within the video. And so it's working just the way or even better than it would work because it's reaching a different kind of audience than you would see in television. And then the other thing that I'd go back to is that because you can measure so much in digital, obviously everybody wants to use that and, and account for every penny. But if you compare the measurement ability in digital to television or print, where you have no idea whether an advertisement has ever been put in front of a set of eyeballs, let alone whether it's affected anybody or what have you, versus digital, you know whether it's better or for worse. It's yes, sort of the original exactly. sin of digital media. But that is going to make us better. And I think, again, we, we've had now 20 years of innovation. Is it going to make us better, Yes, though? it is. Because you're, you're, you're the most optimistic what person What you're going to have, Brian, is choice. <laughs> And, and ultimately, with, with advertising, a lot of people will say, well, you know, I, I'd rather have something else other than advertising and that something else is a subscription. And then you say, okay, you want to pay? We certainly can. And then people say, oh, you know what? Actually, I'd rather have clients sponsor and bring this sure. stuff to me for free and, and do that. So I think on that one, there's this perpetual argument, which is better, advertising supported or subscriptions? Our viewpoint is that they yes. both work. They're both great. You can do slightly different things with each one of them. And from our perspective, mm -hmm. is we want to have both. So let's actually talk about that for a little bit. Um, uh, you guys are actually reported under the paid models uh, segment of Axel Spring, which I find strange. Um, but you've had a subscription business for a few years now. And I wonder about, and, and it's a high-priced one, uh, explain why go that route when you're a very you're a very broad publisher i mean you reach tons of people and so that works well for advertising models but i wonder for the subscription model um it would seem to be it would be difficult to have have that kind of um subscription versus um you know just going straight advertising the answer is there's an opportunity to do both. And and what we saw relatively early with Silicon Alley Insider and then Business Insider when we were very focused on tech and finance was there was a core audience that wanted super deep reporting and analysis within particular industry sectors. And as we grew, 
Business Insider grew to a a broad business publication, as you say, it was driven mm-hmm. by advertising. That was the main core engine. But we saw an opportunity where we could do really in-depth analysis and reporting in different industries where people would be happy to pay for it because it helped them do their Different job type better. of content, too. Because I think the hardest oh. part, there's like... I'm, you know, the information's model is great because you optimize the one thing and that's perfect and everything. But a lot of businesses are more complicated in that you're trying to operate with sin effect a few different businesses at the same time. Um, that's right. But if you do it right, they complement each other. And and we take some of what we produce in our subscription business and that finds its way onto Business Insider. It's available for free. That's how people learn about the subscription business. And if you're right. in an industry where you say, hey, you know, I want that additional layer of analysis and data and charts and, and research. I want to I want to upgrade basically. Mm-hmm. So it all works together very well. But you don't see that being becoming the the main driver of the business. So like, I mean the New York Times now is fully focused on subscriptions. It's a you know, it's user-driven model and that has a lot of advantages. Um, but it seems like for Business Insider the model will always be advertising driven. I would think that that Advertising would always be a big piece of it. The business works, the biggest and, piece. and there are a lot of stories out there that people are are entertainment, and it's great. What am I seeing today? And and reaching a larger audience, and advertising is perfect for that. And it's going to get better and better as we all figure out the right, the best units for digital and and how to optimize it. But again, I think subscriptions is a big opportunity, and I think that we are now doing very well with our research business. That will extend into subscriptions that are more on the consumer side for for journalism. We're experimenting heavily with that this year. So we're very optimistic about that. And the subscription business is growing faster than the ad business. But for your ad business, yeah, but from a much smaller base. That is true. Uh, (laughs) But uh, the ad business needs as many people, as many eyeballs as possible. I guess the part that I'm, if you're optimizing to just getting people to pay then it's one thing. But if you're trying to get as many eyeballs as possible in order to expose them to advertising, you're, it's hard to drive people into subscriptions because the easiest way is to cut off access at some point. Say, hey, you viewed three articles this week. Uh, now you got to subscribe. Right. That's one model, the meter, and that is working very well for the New York Times. And then there are other models where it's you have to pay us to see anything at all. And then there are others where just, yeah, everything is behind a paywall. Again, no right answer. It's the best answer for your audience and, and your business goals. But I think the New York Times does not cover or write about everything of interest to people. And they, if they were going to employ different models, they could do that. And so from, from our perspective, it, it really is, again, it, what we want to do over time from a business perspective is just continue to grow our editorial budget, continue to have the resources and journalists and analysts to inform and inspire as many people as we can. And in terms of mass reach, actually, one thing we, we decided with Business Insider, and it was part of the thinking to expanding into Tech Insider and Insider and Lifestyle, was we actually don't want to aim for reach growth anymore like we have what? already this amazing audience of the the next generation of executives who are changing the world like we don't want to expand that into mass consumer market people don't care about professionals or, or what have you so business insider can now focus on deepening its engagement so business within insider the reach. it has as big of an audience as it needs obviously you're expanding globally a, a lot but it it just needs to be deeper we want to continue to the folks who love us, we want to serve them more. 
each day. So if you're reading one or two stories, first, thank you. We'd love to get you to three or four stories because we're choosing no what you're more. interested you're, in. Yes. You have Digiday alumni there, Henry, <laughs> by the way. So <laughs> well, you're going to help more. us then. Absolutely. Read it more. Um, okay, so that's interesting. I and mean, that's sort of the, the, the argument that, you know, it's not just about scale anymore. Um, it's not just about reach anymore. It's, right. it's about, right, engagement, frequency, like how central can we become to your life? Okay. So final show I want to want to get to is about the market. We're hearing a lot about the duopoly and we're hearing a lot of people who are pessimistic. As I said, you are the most optimistic man in digital media. So I want to, because I know you're going to have an optimistic take on the duopoly and Facebook and Google taking 98% of the growth in digital advertising. So give it to me. Very optimistic. And <clears throat> I think one way to get out of the pessimism is to look long term. There's just no question about where all this is going. Everything is going to digital. That is very clear, and it is very hard for me to imagine a world where we don't all want information and stories and entertainment to feast on all day long. So it's just a question of who is going to make that and who's going to help distribute it. And I think with respect to the platforms, a lot of the commentary is just completely head in the sand wrong about what's really going on here. I think the, what is evolving is very similar to cable networks and cable providers, the people who actually own the pipes. You need both. Ultimately, once you have that pipe into the household, then you need all this great content to put on it, and then that's what makes the greatest experience for the viewer. In digital, you have these amazing platforms like Facebook and YouTube and Netflix and others. Now they need great stories and information and content to go on top of that. And that is what we're seeing. We started to work with Facebook very on a very close level a couple of years ago. It is a great partnership. They care about exactly what we care about, which is we want to tell stories on Facebook that Facebook users love and share. There is now revenue coming in as a result of that. And I think that we've seen the same thing with YouTube. YouTube has made a huge commitment over the last couple of years to work with producers to produce great stuff that people love that is also great for YouTube's advertising clients. This is exactly the way one would expect it to evolve. And I think over the next few years, you will see Facebook, YouTube, Snapchat, Instagram and others investing more and more in just great content for the platforms. And so the ecosystem will work. And I think where the mistake comes in is I think that some companies are either expecting or hoping that Facebook will pay them so much money that it will cover all of the costs of making television or printing a print newspaper or magazine. That is never going to happen. But that's also not Facebook's responsibility. Facebook's responsibility is to produce great stories for Facebook users. And that's what a few of the digital companies are really focused on. And when you do that and when you work with them, it's just been a huge opportunity for us. Do you think they're at risk of regulation? I mean, I was in Australia and, and they were having Senate hearings over Facebook and Google and their power there. I mean, they are under so much scrutiny, I feel like, globally now that the narrative has changed from, oh, wow, these guys are doing such amazing things, to they're a threat to democracy. It is a, they are going through what most hyper-successful companies go through at some point. It was Microsoft in the 1990s, early in the 1990s, that this little underdog, so inspiring, startup Bill Gates, he drops out of school, it's amazing. By the end of the 1990s, yeah. they're this huge behemoth gorilla, we got to break them up, it's terrible. And what Microsoft did in that period is change from being the scrappy brass knuckles, we kill our competitors, no holds barred, startup culture, to actually... 
we're an incumbent, we have to play fair, the rest of the world has to do well. And that's what you're seeing with Google, Facebook, and others. They're going through that tra transition. It usually takes a few years. But again, I mean, nod to Facebook. Look, what happened to the election really stung them. They have put enormous resources into figuring out how can we be a great news and journalism and entertainment distributor for the future. And more and more of their resources will go into that. So I think they recognize that. And as you say, they now have to persuade a lot of government authorities and others that mm -hmm. they have everybody's best interests at heart. So one last question on the economy. I mean, it seems like we wake up every day to a new sort of Trump uh, outrage crisis, scandal, something. And yet the economy continues to um, produce at a torrid pace. I was I saw my brother over in, in Asia, and he he works on Intel's like supply chain, like in Asia, and he's like, we can't get capacity. Like, and explain that disconnect for me. Well, in certain areas, the economy is doing extremely well. Parts of technology, in particular, in other areas, actually, we've been in a sluggish growth environment since the bottom of the financial crisis, and. The frustration with that is part of what contributed to President Trump being elected. That is not yet accelerated. We haven't unlocked the usual growth rate that you see after a recession uh, like the magnitude of the one that we had. So that is one of the questions that economists are wrestling with is that, you know, how do we get back to those growth rates? Because sure, parts of the economy are working, but then you have the dynamic where Facebook and Google, when they do so well, they're doing what they're doing with far fewer people than mm -hmm. General Motors and the industrial um, companies did. So what does that mean for jobs? So the economy is working through a very rapid transition to technology and information services. It is putting a lot of pressure on a lot of ordinary working people. And that is why there is, is such discontent. And I think it's something that Silicon Valley in particular with is now actually starting to wrestle with, like how, what are, what are our social and moral obligations? Yeah. And, and I think Tim Cook said this week, and I think something you're going to hear a lot more about over the next few years. And it's something that business insiders just really believes deeply in is that ultimately government can only do so much. Business has to take responsibility for changing the world for the better. And that means moving beyond just shareholder capitalism, where the only purpose of a business is to make profit for shareholders, to a much more holistic view that says, look, companies, great companies serve four constituencies. They serve shareholders, sure, but they also serve customers. They serve employees who are devoting their lives to working at the companies, and they're serving society. They are making great mm -hmm. products in a responsible way, and great companies do that. And that is better capitalism, and that's what we should all strive for. But I mean, if they're doing things around automation, and and that's going to decimate, say, you know, at what is ten percent of our economy works in retail. I don't see, you know, Jeff Bezos like sitting around. Um, obviously, he's, he owns parts of Business Insider, right? So you would know he did. Than me. He was an investor for a few okay. Years. I thought Springer he still. I thought he still nope. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought he kept a, a, a chunk. But anyway. Um, I assume he's not sitting around like worrying about you know the fact that um, ten percent of the U.S. workforce is in retail. Well, I, I think if it, the robots stealing jobs question, obviously stealing jobs, taking jobs and replacing jobs question is obviously another big topic of conversation in economic circles. I think the important thing is to step back and realize that that has been happening since the dawn of the Industrial Revolution. 200 years ago, 93% of jobs were in agriculture. We all worked on farms. Mm -hmm. Now, 2% work on farms, and yet 
we have 4% unemployment, everybody is employed. It's just a question of what kinds of jobs there are and a question of how fast and disruptive the change is. And, and actually what's going on in the economy right now is, yes, automation is replacing jobs, but we have full employment. The problem is that we've shifted from high paying manufacturing jobs to low wage service jobs and the story being told around but won't that the service jobs yeah, be replaced well, by robots that's the problem some of them here. will absolutely but the story that that is being told about that is again goes back to this shareholder capitalism where the purpose of a company is just print money for shareholders actually companies need to choose to pay people more it is just beyond unfortunate and unfair that a company like walmart which is incredibly rich and powerful, is paying so many of its workforce so little that they're poor, even though they work full time. And I say that, I want to tip my hat to Walmart saying they have voluntarily raised wages. It has already made a huge difference. We got to see other companies doing that. Wait, Apple how many people that. does uh, does Walmart employ? I, I hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands around the world. They're and trying to compete against Amazon. I mean, Amazon is the one who's driving margins to zero in all yeah, these businesses. Well, okay, but you can say with Amazon, Amazon is reinvesting pretty much every dollar it takes in in new projects, employees. They're, they're paying out what they take in, whereas lots of other companies are trying to maximize profit. And this is something Walmart stopped doing a year or two ago when they yeah. voluntarily raised wages, which is great. We got to see more companies doing that. And again, it's if our companies in the United States were earning way below average profit margins, then they have great profits. I would completely agree with you. Like, hey, you know, give something to the shareholders here. Enough, enough paying employees. But it's the opposite. Companies are earning incredibly high profit margins because the whole idea is maximize profitability. And and I think that's what you're going to see change in the economy. It has to because government cannot fix all of the problems in society. We have to unleash better capitalism, mm -hmm. the creativity in the private sector to do it. And part of that is really believing that your employees are not only critical to what you do and serving your customers, but that they're in it for themselves too. The whole idea is to create a good life yeah. for them. Is universal basic income a wacky idea? It's an interesting idea. Certainly, it's interesting to see it gaining hold. Um, it would solve some problems, but it would also be very expensive. So it's just a question. This, this country has always struggled with this trade-off between, hey, we want that, but we also don't want to pay any taxes at all. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be tough. Okay. Henry, thank you so much. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. Okay. And we'll be back next week with a new episode.